Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Linda Liu, host of Feast Meets West, and this is OPP. Welcome to another episode of Other People's Podcast, a show that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Today's special guest is Linda Liu, host of the amazing food podcast, Feeds Meets West. Feeds Meets West celebrates Asian culture through the lens of food. Each episode, Linda shares the history of iconic dishes and amplifies the voices of the passionate people in the world of Asian cuisine. Linda is one of my dear friends, and I'm excited for you to learn more about her and her dope show, Beats Meets West. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to Linda Liu. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Linda? How are you? What's up? This, I'm great. Yeah, is, hi, friend, first of all. I, I was about to say, like, this yeah, is a whole yeah. different vibe. How are you? What an honor. <laughs> yeah. How's everything? Um, great, great. Just, like, transitioning from, you know, work-work mindset so, because you know, I do like marketing in the tech space. Yeah. To now, you know, food podcast. Now you're my friend, but I want you to be everyone else's friend. Where are you from originally? Okay, sure. So originally, um, I, I guess all over the place. I would say not just one city that I can say um, and move on with it. But uh, I was born in Beijing. Okay. And then I moved to the states when I was four. Okay. Um, grew up in Long Island between the ages of like four to eight, moved to Hong Kong. Um, and then, uh, what is it? Hong Kong have the slogan, like two countries, one place. Like, yeah, I should know this. Um, they have like two governments in one. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That. (laughs) Whatever the slogan is. It's changing now though, because, you know, after the Chinese, um, handover because it used to be a British colony. There was a handover. So now they're like getting um, integrated back into the Chinese government okay. system. I think it's like one country, two governments, something like that. I, think that's I will. It. Yeah. I think that's sure. It. We'll put it in the show notes, <laughs> the actual accurate slogan. Um, so grew up in Hong Kong, really cool. Went to international school, met all my friends from, you know, like Canada and Australia and the U S and England. Um, and then moved back to New York for middle school for a year, actually went to lab here, um, in Manhattan, which is in Chelsea. Okay. And then moved back to Hong Kong for high school. Wow. Yeah. And then um, came back to New York City for college and stayed ever since. Where'd you go to school? NYU. Oh, get out of here. Super local. So I've been here for like this time round, like 14, 15 years. I have no intention of moving right now. Um, New York is like living in the future. So 
why would I leave? Exactly. It's really hard to leave New York. Yeah. Well, at least for any anywhere else in America. Maybe um, LA. Maybe LA. Yeah. LA is um uh getting uh high up on the food map. Ooh. Um like David Chang just opened up um his new restaurant there. He like lives out there now and he's like and we'll talk about this later too, but like really giving um an elevated uh look to the LA food scene. Okay. Um, and there's also, you know, pockets of like neighborhoods. They're just like way spread out and apart from each other. Yes. Um, but in the same way, New York has neighborhoods and you can like go to East Village for a certain vibe versus like Upper West Side. I feel like LA has that distinction there too. Uh, do you think you'll have, you ever have the, uh, the, the aspiration to move out of New York um, to LA? Not right now. I don't see the need. I mean, I like seasons. Yeah. I like, you know, walking. I hate traffic. I don't even drive. I've like grown up a city person. Do you have a I just like, no. Do you have a driver's license? I've driven once in a parking lot. And I guess, you know, I can like make the car move. Whoa, oh, yeah. Well, I'm yeah, not driving so, with you. <laughs> no, just like not even like people ask me, do you, you don't have a driver's license, whatever. But I mean, like, no, I just don't drive, period. Like, ask me to turn the car on. I hope it's an automatic, like, zombie apocalypse. Um, wow. I have other skills to provide. Um, yeah, I just have never needed to drive. You know, living in Hong Kong, living in New York City. These are just really accessible cities for Do you ever feel that mass transit? Because I feel like being raised in New York City, not having the experience of, of uh, riding the cheese bus to school every day, like every kid gets to experience, or not being able to, uh, not needing to have a driver's license. Have you ever felt like that was any a challenge in any way? No, I guess because I've never had to deal with that. Um, but, you know, growing up Long Island, you know, I took the cheese bus to school. Okay, okay. So there's that, I have that context. But um, growing up, moving around internationally, I think I feel like a nomad of sorts. I don't really necessarily belong in either city, either like country fully. Okay. I, you know, I bring my experiences with me. I bring like home is like where I just am physically. Mm. Um, and you know, it's made up of like my friends and food is like a big part of it. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, I am part of a culture where, um, there isn't anyone that's exactly like me and I can completely be like, yeah, we share all the same experiences. Let's like bond immediately. You mentioned friendships um, <clears throat> from your college experience, but from you moving from, you know, Hong Kong and New York and Long Island and all these different places around the world, like how has that shaped you uh, with building friendships? Yeah. Um, I think it's allowed me to make friends um, wherever I go, you know, you're forced in that position. So you can't get comfortable. Otherwise you're going to be a loser and a loner. Um, and it's, uh, you realize now also that like social media, um, technology allows you to stay connected with anyone. Mm. We're really lucky for that reason. Like, you know, without, Facebook or Instagram, I probably wouldn't be friends or like, you know, there'd be like forgotten friendships along the way. 
but I think like I haven't felt like I missed out. In fact, I feel like I benefited by having so many different like cultural exposures. And then also as a person, you know, I'm, I hope, um, well, I really hope everyone gets to travel and especially to like, um, opposite sides of the world. So you can really experience how other people live, how they eat, how they communicate, and then just become a more understanding person. So you can bring that to your daily life in like business work, just being like empathetic as a person. But were there challenges, you know, let's say when you're like nine or 10 years old, um, were there challenges as far as making friends and... For sure. For sure. Were you like mad at your parents? Like, <laughs> come on, dude. Yeah. I again. finally like... I'm like popular <laughs> in this school. I now have to start from the bottom rung. Ugh. And that's happened actually. Where like... Um, actually, I forgot to mention I lived for a year in Minnesota. Chaska, Minnesota, which is an hour outside of Minneapolis. What's it called? Chaska. A small town of... Wow. Yeah. Um, well, and, I love Minnesota, by the way. It's a great, great yeah, state. yeah. So that was my like Fargo one year experience during the fifth grade, and I was the only um, I think Asian kid. Oh yeah, you were in my year. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I became uh, fast friends with the principal because he had like an adopted Asian daughter. Um, so that's funny. And so like, I think he like saw his daughter in me too. Yeah. And like. Do you always have a strong passion for food? Always did. Yeah. Uh, what, what Growing up, I was a fatty. I still kind of am like chubby and round, but like. Uh, where does that come from? Your passion of food? Um, family. I can say that um, for sure. My mom is an amazing home cook, mainly Chinese food, but like varied Um, like growing up, she'll stir fry like tomato and egg. That's like a very traditional, like, um, Chinese home style dish, but then she'll also make like scallion pancakes from scratch, Mm. um, dumplings from scratch, everything from the filling to the wrapper. And that's, you know, and you've been to one of my dumpling parties and that's why I do it. Cause it's like inspired by this like tradition that, you know, my mom has always done this. Um, or she'll make like buns from scratch or she's also like a gardener. So, um, she grows her own vegetables right now and like makes stuff from that. Um, so I think her passion in providing delicious food for her family was just, you know, infectious for my passion as well. Uh, how is the the food culture? Like I know as far as me being a black American, how food works in the South, right? Like the culture of food, you know, big, uh, it's always seafood or or mashed potatoes and okay. a lot of soul food traditions you yeah. know, that came and stemmed from slavery times. What were some of the traditional dishes um, for your culture, Chinese culture? Yeah, so I would say um, every region of China is different. It's um, the food is local based on the terrain, mm-hmm. you know, um, Beijing, where I'm from, where my family from is a, a more in like the northern part of China. They're still like more north <laughs> and like, um, I don't know, crazy Siberianists and stuff. Okay. But like in um, Beijing, it's a cold, dry climate. 
Um, people eat a lot of um, noodles okay. and uh, flour products. So like I mentioned, like the pancakes in various forms and dumplings are huge. So those are very um, indicative of like what I grew up eating and loved. But moving to Hong Kong, now that is at the very south of China and it is warm. It's like when you go there and you step out of the plane, you're walking into a spa, like a sauna. Okay. Oh, wow. It's that humid. It hits you like, oh my God, I'm in the tropics. Wow. Um, and uh, so with that weather, there's like a lot of like amazing tropical fruit. You're by the sea, um, amazing seafood. People also like to eat um, lighter cuisine. So it's really about like enhancing the natural flavors of the, the produce or the proteins. Um, and then I have family actually in like the Sichuan area, which is, I guess, more like in the middle. Okay. Um, and, you know, there's like more heavy spices there. And that's where, like, the famous, like, numbing peppercorn is from. Okay, okay. Um, so across China, just like in the U.S., um, every region is so distinctly different. But, you know, people move around. So you have an interesting mixture always of, like, whatever dishes are on the table as a reflection of, like, oh, we're doing dumplings from Beijing, but then we're also doing a fresh fish, whole fish with just like scallions steamed. That's like from Hong Kong. Okay. Because we just like that. And then maybe we got some cool like peppercorn. So we're like stirring that up with some diced chicken. Oh, man. Yeah. So, you know, it's I think your food is always a reflection of like um, where you've come from, where your parents have come from, where you've moved to and what honestly you just like to eat. Wow. So, you know, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to get back. But now we're on the topic of food. <laughs> we're going to talk about your show, East Meets West. And we're back. So first, how did you uh, discover podcasting in general? Okay. So not an original story, but I was on the um, wave of Serial. Mm-hmm. You know, huge fan. I was listening and I was like, oh my God, I'm so captivated by the storytelling. Um, and I've never thought like radio could be so engaging and sexy. And um, they just did like a tremendous job with that. And from then on, I looked for similar shows, ones that just like spoke to me. Um, interest wise. So like, you know, food or like psychology learning, and then maybe, you know, some like crime things <laughs> like, <laughs> like crime know. town or yeah, yeah. Or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think that was my first real interest before that I had listened to like the, is it the NPR show or it's like, wait, wait, don't tell me. Ooh, I've never heard like, of that. It's like the um, news game show. They like make the news a game. Okay. Um, and they'll have like different um, kind of, I guess like hosts and celebrity guests on the show and they have to figure out what's the like, it's like three, uh, three truths and a lie, which is the piece of news that's like fake. And that was like a 
fun way for me to like ingest news and remember it. Um, but I didn't like follow along that much, but it was like really, uh, strong storytelling that, and I saw the real capabilities of podcasts, like where if you are not listening fully, giving it your full attention with audio, um, you're looking at your phone or you're trying to read a book at the same time, you can't remember anything. You have to like rewind and actually give it your all. So I really appreciate that format because like for me, I believe that podcast is the most like engaging and like you reach the most like engaged listeners. Whereas watching TV, like sure, I'm like folding my laundry or like, I don't know, sweeping the floor. Or like I, you know, um, browse the internet, but I'm not like reading everything. Audio, gotta listen to every word. Otherwise you like miss the story. And so that really stuck with me. Well, where did the idea to come from to have your own show? The idea to have my own show actually came from just like a random um, conversation with my former co-host, Iris. Um, So Iris is from Hong Kong and we grew up together in Hong Kong. Okay, She's like one of my OG best friends. Um, And since she moved back to Hong Kong, like, you know, it's hard to stay in touch. Um, And, um, but we'll like, you know, um, WhatsApp every so often, but we're like, Hey, actually like you listen to serial. I listen to serial. We, we love podcasts. We're like both thinking about how do we get more involved? Is there a show that we could do? And also a way for us to like stay connected and talk about our favorite things. And we're like, okay, what would that be? Oh, food. Cause like, actually we like look back to our conversations and like 90% of it is about like, this is what I ate. Oh my God, what'd you have in Hong Kong? And um, so that kind of came organically and also came from a place where we were genuinely curious about where our favorite foods came from. Mm. Um, At the time, she was working in the food service industry. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In Hong Kong at a restaurant called Yardbird. Okay. Um, so it was really top of mind for her. And I always like just spend my entire paycheck eating out. And so I'd be like, hey, is poke like a trend in Hong Kong? Because it is here in New York. There's like lines out the door for like poke places during lunch. Also, like, where's that from exactly? It's like cut up pieces of fish. It seems Japanese. Oh, wait, it's like Hawaiian, actually. I didn't know this. And, you know, it came from a genuine curiosity of like where these foods came from, how they journeyed from um, originally potentially like Asia to the West. And we wanted to tell that story. Okay. We wanted to share like the facts and the history that we found. Um, And as the show evolved, of course, like, you know, bringing on the food experts to speak about them. Um, So chefs, restaurateurs. All that great stuff. How'd you get those guests to to come on the show? Yeah, by just reaching out to them, you know, telling them um, I'm doing a show 
for example, um, Poke. Um, this was before we were on Heritage Radio Network. So the first season, Iris and I um, produced, edited ourselves and, you know, um, pushed it out to like all the podcast platforms. So for the Poke episode, we're like, okay, what's what's a place that like I could interview here in New York? I ended up going to Sons of Thunder and be like, hey, you guys are Poke experts. Can I talk to you? And they said yes. And that was awesome. And then she did the same with a poke restaurant in Hong Kong. And we stitched everything together. Um, and so that's where the name comes from, too. Because it's all about sharing um, different perspectives um, in food. So she, she was West. living in Hong Kong. And you're here in New York mm-hmm. recording a podcast. Yeah. With a guest that's here in New York. Or a guest that's in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So the first season, the format was basically we uh, went to the restaurant and did a recorded interview with them. Okay. And then we would go back to the studio, our studio as in like, you know, the computer and just like (laughs) edit it ourselves. Now um, we are part uh, of Heritage Radio Network. Iris is actually taking a step back from the podcast. So it's more New York City focused. Okay. Um, so how the show evolved was um, I met Erin, um, who was at the time the executive director of the network at just a woman in food event. It was awesome. I was like, hey, I actually have a food show. Does it make sense for me to be part of the network? And then we had a conversation about it. Um, and then we pitched our show and she loved it. And then we joined the network. And that was back in um, 2016, okay. maybe like mid-2016 or something like that. So we've been with the network for two years now. Um, and then the format would be um, Iris would call in. At the time, she was uh, she had a more flexible schedule. Mm-hmm. Um you know, serving like is more like start later in the day into like late night. So she had the morning free and then we would record at like 8 p.m. New York time, which is 8 a.m. Hong Kong time. And she'd like wake up early, call in, you know, do her bit. And then I'd um, speak and interview with the live guest in the studio. Okay. Yeah. So that was like how kind of season two or like, you know, the first season of Heritage Radio Network. And um, up until kind of like season three, that was the format. And uh, and then, but now um, uh, it's more about focusing on um, me bringing in a group of guests together. So okay. that's how the um, theme has evolved or the format has evolved. I bring in two to three guests per show. It's live. Um, I set a framework for the theme. So for example, season five, we've had um, the boom of contemporary Chinese restaurants in the East Village. It's a thing. And um, another upcoming theme is uh, female chefs cooking Asian food. Mm. So, you know, having two to three guests on at the same time, they can have more of a dialogue with each other and it becomes like more of like an industry talk and hopefully they kind of bounce ideas off each other. They can also have the opportunity to like meet new people. Um, so the show is evolving and, you know, after having like five seasons, you want to keep things exciting right. and grow. 
what is uh, how has heritage and being on a network uh, helped your show? Like, what, what does a what does a network do to enhance your audience? Yeah, so um, I would say it's the community. Um, for heritage, it's very focused around um, having a, quite a number of shows dedicated to the world of food, food and beverage. Um, so people, you know, it's like strength in numbers, um, people, uh, listeners, um, who have listened to one of the other heritage shows might try to listen to some of the other ones, or they know heritage as one of the premier food networks. Okay. So they know that's the place as a foodie to go to, to find content that they love. Got it. Yeah, and then also having the support of the live studio space. I was going to ask you about that. You record in Williamsburg. Yeah. Bushwick. 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 It's actually um, a a studio that's converted from a shipping container. Wow. Yeah, so it's like really cool indie vibe. You have to come visit me. I know. Yeah, during one of the recordings. And also get pizza, of course. (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's also a great way to lure guests with pizza. Um, and Roberta's pizza. Yeah. So like, how do you pass that down? Um, so we record live in the studio. It's actually in the back of Roberta's. So there's, um, a see-through, like a window, transparent window. You can like watch the diners eat pizza as you're recording. That's really cool. Yeah. That is really, really cool. Yeah. It's a very special space. I always say now that once you step into the podcasting role, um, and you pick a particular topic about your show, you kind of thrust yourself into the um, forefront of being an expert uh, at something. Or people perceive you as more as being an expert. Have you found that? Mm-hmm. Uh, how- um, yeah, I think uh, people perceive me more as an expert. Um, and I feel like you probably get that too, right? You're yeah. like, oh, you're an expert in like hip hop music and production and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly. Um, and I feel like, I um, feel like I value the opportunity. I can't always claim I am the expert. I hope with my research and, you know, I'm upfront when I'm like, oh, I got this fact from Wikipedia. Yeah. But like I'm sharing this with you and hopefully listener, you're like learning some stuff too. And I'm learning as I'm talking through like where like um, the matcha is coming from Mm. in Japan or like, how's that different from like Chinese green tea? And these are all facts I'm learning along the way. Um, But I can't say I'm an expert. Like the expert is really, um, you know, the chef or like the restaurateur that I bring on and interview. Um, At that point, I'm kind of like learning live from them. Um, But I do feel more connected with the, Asian food community here in New York. Everyone's super encouraging and friendly and willing to chat. Um, So what I can say is like, I see certain trends. I see like the concerns and challenges of these like passionate people. I see, um, I learn from them here and there. Um, Ultimately, I can just say I'm like a expert in like eating out. <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe the word is an expert. I'm going to maybe correct myself. Maybe the word is, you know, industry leader. You know what I mean? Are, are you, is it, are you seeing that type of energy as being an industry leader in the world of cuisine? 
Um, so funny example of that. Um, last week, I was actually invited by the Korea Society mm. of New York City to uh, moderate an event on kimchi on stage. Wow. So I did that because, you know, I think they saw my content. They know I interview people <laughs> specifically in the category of Asian food. Um, so I guess they, in that respect, maybe saw me as a viable industry leader to tap for this opportunity. Wow, that's awesome. And I welcome that. I 100% love doing this. Um, and uh, I think with time and with more experience, the the leader part will become more clear. Mm. So Linda, now we are at the part of the show where I'm going to ask you, uh, it's called Podcaster's Picks, where mm-hmm. you give me- PPs. <laughs> yeah, PPs. Yeah. Where you give me uh, three podcasts that you're a fan of that we should be listening to and uh, describe them to me. Yeah. And this actually changes um, month to month, you know, because there's always like new podcasts launching yes. and so great or like some you kind of like get bored of. But um, right now, my favorites I actually brought a little like post with me. So I remember their names. But um, still processing with the New York Times. Yeah, is Jen- Jenna Wortham. Oh my God. I, she's Jenna Wortham. What? Wait, hold on. What? Okay. Hold on. All right. I, offline. I've okay. never even, oh, do I, okay. you know, I didn't even, I've never even interrupted anyone doing their podcast respects. It's a true story. Okay. The other, the other day, uh, I reached out to her via Instagram. Is she going to come on this show or any show? Because I want to be I, there. I, I am I'm such working a on big it. fan. Okay. So I'm walking. I DM'd her maybe about a month ago. Like, hey, I'd love to get you on the show. Didn't hear anything back. Um, she didn't even read it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, okay. You know, whatever. And I'm walking down the block. I, t- I literally get off Putnam. I walk a block. Mm-hmm. So this I see, is Bed-Stuy, right? It's Bed-Stuy. Mm-hmm. I, I see this girl come out of her apartment with two trash bags. Ha! Ah! <laughs> ah! She chucks these bags in the street. And I look, I'm like, Jenna? She's <laughs> like, like, do I know you? Okay. And she's like, hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yo, what's up? My name is Corey. I have this podcast. <laughs> like, like, can I interview blah, blah. you? <laughs> Here's my like 30 second pitch. Oh my God. Yeah. She literally what lives a like, stroke of luck. She lives literally half a block, like on oh my, my God, block. Oh my God, your neighbors. You could be real friends. Yeah, Let's my, be real friends. Yeah. And my, my friend Josh, who helped uh, with Silent Giants, uh, is a, a producer on still processing. So I was like, He's a producer on yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Josh is a, a person who helped me get Silent Giants off the ground. He like helped me really, he came up with the entire structure of the show. Like mm-hmm. and I just follow his template. Um and then yeah. So it's a very, very small world, but she's my neighbor. Okay. Come over. Yes. Yes. We're gonna hang. <laughs> we'll like just chill in front of her place, like crack open a 40. Yeah, we'll be sitting on her stoop. <laughs> oh Jenna, what do you know? Hey. Yeah. Oh, you again. I'm just like <laughs> Okay, we're still processing. Yeah. So like, um, so it's hosted by Jenna Wortham and Wesley Morris, Mm -hmm. and they're both culture writers at the New York Times. But instead of like very stodgy language, they are so articular, like articulate, culturally relevant, accessible people. Um, And they talk a lot about race, um, entertainment, entertainment. Gender identity, uh, culture, of course, like all of those interesting things that are like loaded and they really like unpack it. Mm. Um, One of the interesting episodes they had um, last season, earlier this year, they um, were talking about like 
racism in like Asian towards Asian Americans. Um, and they're both black. Right. But um, they actually dedicated, I think it was like two episodes to giving voices to like Asian Americans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To like talk about like their experiences, both people who called in and like kind of their like celebrity friends. And it was just I really respected that. Wow. Yeah, the, the episode was fantastic. Yeah, and, you know, like, to that point, this is also why I do Feast Meets West. It's my platform to give um, the Asian community another public voice mm. because, um, you know, there's just not enough of it. They're like, we're not represented accurately in media in any form. So at least, you know, we're trying, we're doing more of it. Um, I think that's the right direction. More exposure. And what was your second pick? My second pick is the Dave Chang show. Okay. So I mentioned this um, earlier because he like moved out to LA um, and opened up his new restaurant. I love it because it's food related. Um, well, actually not all episodes are food related. Um, he like started out the show talking about the process of opening his new restaurant and really like dove into every like nook and cranny of like what challenges were, what were like the milestones. So that was really interesting. Um, but then he brings on really diverse, uh, guests, um, and he has amazing friendships and, um, he's just very open. So, so like, for example, when, um, Anthony Bourdain passed away, he just like, you know, cried on his podcast mm. and just like talked about his issues with depression. Recently he had, um, Dave Cho on who's like, um, a major like, uh, artist, visual artist. Um, an interesting guy all around. Um, and they just like talked honestly about like their challenges and Dave Cho went to like rehab and he like talked about that. So it was like not so necessarily food related. He brought on Chloe Kim, Olympic star. Okay. Yeah. Where like, um, Dave Chang actually like cooked, uh, like this like churro sandwich for her, like, um, at the Olympics and they built their relationship from like that. Um, and then what else, who else has he had on? Um, yeah, just like, you know, I, I also have to be honest. I sometimes pick and choose which episodes I listen to mm-hmm. based on the guest or on the subject matter. Okay. I mean, there's the same thing. It's like, I love uh, how stuff, stuff you should know. Yeah. With yeah, some stuff I don't want to know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I really don't care. Sorry. <laughs> Um, okay. And then, uh, you'll probably ask about my third pick. Of course. Okay. So, um, one of my shows that is like no, no longer running, but you can still find the episodes, um, was called note to self and it was hosted by Manoush, uh, Zamarodi. I was on WNYC and basically it's really relevant for us now because every episode she looks at an aspect of how technology is affecting our lives. Mm. Um, and it had so much impact on me. Like on one of them, it was about like taking control back from your phone and about how you can like, you know, just like turn off your notifications, be bold and delete some apps that like suck your time away from like doing something meaningful and actually like did some of that. So it like had a positive impact on my life. So she actually started her own company called Stable Genius. 
Um, I think it just launched this summer and I have to go check it out. But she has a new podcast called Zigzag, um, which continues the theme of um, technology in her show. So I'm excited to listen to that. Wow. And lastly, Linda, why do you podcast? Why do I podcast? Um, So I think it is to... um, like I mentioned, give uh, an opportunity, another platform to um, give voice to the Asian community. Melinda, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, so much fun. <laughs> Friend. <laughs> Friend. Everyone check out Peace Meets West. Linda, we are out of here. All right, peace out. Peace. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Linda Liu. To check out her show, Feats Meets West, be sure to hit the link in the description of this episode. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird. Music for this episode was provided by Richie Quake. And before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off. Till next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.